Welcome to the Studio Break Podcast. I'm your host, David Linaway. For today's 46th episode, we have artist and painter John Philip Abbott. Now, John lives and works in Albuquerque, New Mexico, and we talked at great length about the process and the formal language of his work, the abstraction of working with text and phrases, and all the materials that he uses along the way, including spray paint, tape, acrylic, and all sorts of good stuff. So please go to the Studio Break Dot com website and check out the blog entry which has a slideshow of his work and you can check it out there you'll also notice there's links to his website and the itunes store where you can become a subscriber to studio break so we hope that you do that and leave us some feedback while you're there of course on the studio break website you'll see on the left there's an archive that you can go through so please go and check that out month by month or you can just keep advancing the blog entries and check out other artists that way and again we've got over 50 entries and very recently include even some shorter ones like the highlight episodes that feature our mfa and bfa 2012 competition winners so please check that out if that's not enough you can also find us on facebook our studio break page provides previews of upcoming guests and updates from past guests and show announcements so please go ahead and like us on facebook and also you can follow us on twitter that's at studio break on twitter so please go ahead and follow us there as well all right with that out of the way here is our interview with john philip abbott stay tuned Welcome to the Studio Break Podcast. I'm your host, David Linaway, and I'm happy to be joined by John Philip Abbott this morning, who has a number of degrees, but most recently a degree from the University of Wisconsin-Madison in 2007. And it says here that it looks like you currently reside in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Is that correct, sir? That is correct. All right. Well, it's a pleasure to have you on this morning. How are you? I'm doing really good. Thanks, Dave. Really glad to be here. Thanks for inviting me to be a part of this. Appreciate it. Well, excellent, excellent. And as you no doubt know, it's very easy to become familiar with new work via the uh, interwebs and particularly <laughs> social media. So, you know, that's kind of how I became a little bit acclimated to it. And, uh, you know, I've just gotten a number of recommendations uh, to check out your work, and, and I'm really, uh, really interested in it. And uh, that's why you're here. So it's happy to, have, happy to have you on and excited to have you on. Well, thanks a lot. I appreciate that. Sure, sure. Well, I'd just like to start out a little bit by uh, asking you about where you grew up and, and what that, that was like. So if you could just uh, spill the beans, if, it, if, you, if you will. Sure. Uh, I was born in uh, Wausau, Wisconsin, and uh, my family moved uh, to Houston, Texas uh, soon thereafter, like a couple of years after. I grew up mainly uh, in and around Houston, the Houston, Texas area, um, with a little, uh, little sojourn in, uh, Lafayette, Louisiana for a couple of years, um, during my childhood. But then when I was 16, I moved back to Wisconsin, uh, to live with extended family and, uh, stayed there for a little bit after high school, um, then moved to, uh, Austin for a little bit, then back to Houston. And uh, when I moved back to Houston, I must've been <clears throat> about 20, 21. And, uh, for me, that kind of, uh, that time was about uh, a year or two kind of solidified for me in my mind, uh, what I wanted to do uh, with my life, uh, so to speak, in terms of pursuing art. Um, I befriended uh, a South African plumber in Houston, who was also my landlord, and uh, eventually became my employer as well as I was doing some odd jobs helping him out. He was also a land baron that drove around uh, on a $100 Huffy bike. But anyhow, um, he kind of, uh, since he was a plumber, he kind of introduced me to uh, bending copper wire and tubing, and that kind of led to some sculptural experimentation. Uh, where I was living, too, in Houston, we were within walking distance to the Manil Collection, the Rothko Chapel. And uh, so, uh, and he was really uh, uh, interested um, culturally uh, in what was happening around him. So we would often take breaks and go look at art. And so that, that for me, was a real... Um, uh, transitional time for me and uh, kind of confirmed that I wanted to, in fact, um, pursue art. Uh, I got really excited about it. And um, I guess I guess that kind of uh, the initial lingering uh, questions regarding art making started when I was around 12 or so. And I was uh, making posters uh, for my mom, who was a teacher. And I was making just these really uh, <laughs> ridiculous kind of posters of like Mickey Mouse and things like that um, for her classroom. And uh, But I remember staying up till like 3 o'clock in the morning 
uh, listening to Buddy Holly's greatest hits over and over and over again while I was drawing. And I experienced that, you know, that, that time lapse that you experience that you, you shoot for with the art making process. And, uh, that has kind of stuck with me. And, uh, that was, it was such a beautiful experience where it becomes meditative, um, where you kind of step outside of yourself and even your own consciousness and to some degree, uh, and you're, you're experiencing just the, the, the joy of making. And, uh, so, uh, in essence, I've been trying to get back to that, I guess, uh, since then. Yeah, but that's, that's about it. That's about my, that's my childhood. Yeah, well, and it sounds like you, uh, you did a lot of moving. So is, is that something that you, I don't know, think can, you can look at in hindsight and, and see as, uh, that's impacted your, your art making and, and just things that you're interested in general? Yeah, I think it has. I think it's enabled me to, to shed work, uh, shed uh, modes of working, stylistically, uh, conceptually, uh, pretty easy. I, it's almost like you move from one body of work to the next. In some cases, it is like a literal uh, moving of location, um, uh, both physically and also in the studio. Um, so I think, I think, yeah, I think, um, you know, uh, it's, it's enabled me to kind of uh, feel a little bit more transient in the studio, a little bit more allowing, again, to kind of shed what I'm doing if I'm not really engage with what I'm doing or if I have lingering doubts about what I'm doing, I can really uh, call myself out on that pretty easily. I had a uh, grad, uh, when I was in graduate school at the University of Wisconsin, I had a professor tell me that I think it was in his 20 years of teaching, he hadn't seen a student uh, change so much as I had during my tenure there. And I think that that, that might have something to do with it. All the right, right. It wasn't a, a, an exorbitant amount of moving. I've met uh, a lot of people that grew up in the military, and it's, it's crazy how often they've moved. But, um, yeah, I, I think so. I think that has kind of affected or influenced or informed my, my art practice in some, in some degree. Well, and, and prior to that, that you know, journey to essentially Houston eventually where you decided to kind of really go for, for I guess, art making as a, as a, a career, um, were you really invested in a lot of classes in high school or was it something that you just kind of did more as a hobby, um, making posters all throughout your young adult life until you arrived in Houston? Yeah, I think it's always been there. Uh, my brother and I used to always draw like cartoons when we were kids. Um, he, he really introduced me to drawing and we used to draw quite a bit. And so it was always something I felt really comfortable with, uh, really confident, uh, with, I, I felt I had a bit of an aptitude for it. Um, so I, I knew it was always there and the arts have always, have always been there for me. Um, and, uh, when I was in high school, it was kind of, uh, I was thinking more along the lines of being a poet and maybe to some extent, this isn't too far off, but, uh, uh, yeah. So I, I guess it's always, it's always been there. It's always been something that's kind of, um, uh, that, uh, has, has been an option. It's been something uh, around for me. So I'm really grateful for that actually. Sure. Well, and it's interesting that you say and, and mention poetry, and obviously with um, the most current body of work that you know you've supplied me with, and, and you know which is available at your website, which I highly recommend everyone to go check out. Um, and that's JohnPhilipAbbott.com. Is that right? That's right. There you go. So go check that out. But um, you know, it seems that text is something that's very much incorporated into what you do now. Was poetry something that was ever an outlet for that? And you've kind of mentioned you know, getting into that space where you're like listening to a song and just kind of, um, be in this mode. I mean, is, is that something then that's always been there in terms of thinking about things, um, in that kind of, uh, that lyrical way or, or the way that something might be phrased or described in words is also, you know, conjoined with visual art? Yeah, I think so. And, uh, you know, that makes a lot of sense and there's a nice transition there. And, um, you know, when I was growing up, my, my mom was going to graduate school for technical writing. So writing was always, uh, something that was around and, and was discussed and, uh, was, was important too growing up. Uh, she was also an English teacher before that. So, um, yeah, language has always been really important. And, uh, this is, yeah, maybe I'm too lazy to be a poet because I can only come up with these little phrases <laughs> for a text at a time. But, uh. Yeah, uh, very much so. Uh, for me, uh, there's always been, uh, even in an undergraduate, I, I went to study at Western New Mexico University for my BFA. <clears throat> I was a competitive cyclist at the time, and there's a tour of the Gila. It's a big five-day stage race that's down there. So that's how I knew about Silver City. And I went, uh, I went there initially to study performance art and sculpture. But when I became engaged with painting, uh, it became apparent to me that, that text was very much part of my... <laughs> 
uh, my chemistry, uh, utilizing text, somehow incorporating text into my image making. And uh, I, I think in graduate school, I, I became more conscious of the fact that I think I think more more than the writing is, or more uh, than conveying like a written message is more about <clears throat> coming up with an economical way of uh, depicting uh, representational. Uh, when I when I entered graduate school, <clears throat> I was uh, really with uh, figurative the figurative landscape for the most part, and uh, but there was still like text in the in the work, and I found myself really spending a lot of time looking for images that I would then project. I was working with projected images, and um, I, I think uh, I think it started with um, looking for uh, an image of a Pontiac Fiero, which it's really embarrassing to admit, but it was my first car in high school. And uh, so my my work has always had threads of uh, diaristic qualities to it, um, and it kind of started there. <clears throat> and so um, <laughs> so I, I was looking for a red Fiero, an image of a red Fiero, and then it kind of occurred to me that I could just write red Fiero, and that could be a stand-in for finding the image. And that was a real turning point for me. And um, <clears throat> it was also at a point where my work, I, I feel as though it became much more direct um, in terms of uh, the image relating to the text, um, as opposed to having the text and then trying to find a relationship between something figurative, something representational, and, and relating it to the text. I felt like I was uh, kind of fighting two, two disparate um, things. So um, that was kind of the evolution of that. And so <clears throat> from there, it's been uh, almost, I, I guess, about a, almost, a, almost a decade of, of investigating that, that dialogue between essentially what is read and what is seen. That's a real interesting territory for me. Yeah, and I think it's it's interesting, too, because it really kind of gets to something in a direct way, like you're saying, because I think most people are going to just assume immediately something that's representational has to be something that's, you know, seen as a, a realistic rendition of something as opposed to just, uh, you know, what is chosen to uh, denote that that thing, yeah, you know. I think so, too. Yeah, and, and like when you consider when you think about perception, I think that's a, it's kind of a fascinating uh, territory uh, in terms of in terms of text and can it be a stand-in for an object? Uh, is it the same as the object? Is there uh, is it is it a similar experience that we've had with that that word in relationship to the text and uh, and an image of what that text is standing in for? Yeah, I think that's I think it's for me at least. And when I'm in the studio, that's uh, what keeps me engaged. <laughs> well, and I would imagine then too when you started focusing on that aspect of it, the there was a there's a fair bit of research and and reading involved but were there any particular things that you were i don't know delving into that kind of really opened up more more of those ideas in terms of what uh representation could be oh uh, yeah absolutely there's a lot of theory obviously in grad school that that you read and, and outside of course too but um yeah so um i i, I think i think of uh, uh Kasuth, right with the chairs um uh, as being as like where the chair is uh, a chair, the chair is also written chair, right? Right, and, right. Uh, so like that, that was an interesting, and not that I'm a, I'm a huge fan of that work necessarily, um, but uh, for me, you know, that that's a real interesting idea. Uh, so um, and also just like a lot of the contemporary artists that I was looking at at the time, um, Christopher Wool was kind of one of the first ones for me to use. Uh, just, that I saw using stencil in an interesting way in text and just in a real, I guess now we refer to it as like a provisional way of working where it's just really stripped down, uh, really basic, almost looks, uh, there's qualities of it that could potentially look unfinished. Um, but uh, how he was using text uh, was really interesting to me, like, you know, just cat in bag, just these simple terms that are so simple that they begin occupying uh, an abstract space, like within the picture plane. They become... Uh, more than just letters, they become like these abstract symbols uh, that then are breaking up the the picture plane, and uh, at that point becomes almost more about the painting, right, than just a, necessarily the information conveyed. And I think again, that's pretty interesting ter territory. So yeah, it's just kind of in response to a lot of artists. I mean, right now there's there's a lot of artists working, obviously, with with words and text, and so I I, I think a lot of it is just being re in response to that in terms of maybe stylistically, like I mentioned earlier, I've, I've always felt like this real natural um, 
connection. So using text in my work, it always felt like a real natural progression. And uh, I, I was very uh, ill-informed when I first started off uh, as an undergraduate, so I didn't even know that was uh, much that was that was being discussed much. Um, so I feel I feel like it was a real natural progression for me, but definitely stylistically has come through just informing myself with what's going on in contemporary art, what's going on in theory. Um, kind of what Michael Wiley mentioned in his interview too about recognizing the larger scope, right, of being an artist and that you're connected to this larger world. It's not just you and your studio necessarily. I mean, uh, ideally, we are communicating to a, a larger group of our peers. Um, that's kind of, for me at least, the, the goal um, is to be part of the, the contemporary dialogue, to make work that's relevant uh, to what's, what's being made right now at this moment. Right, right. Well, and, you know, it's interesting because one of the things that I was drawn to about your work is just the, the, the strong formal aspects of it, you know, intense colors and you know, repetition and, you know, all the stenciling going on and, and layering. And um, it, it makes me wonder then, too, uh, what a little bit of the, that work that might have came before that looked like. I mean, were, were you investigating, you know, painting things in a very, uh, quote-unquote, realistic manner in terms of working from direct observation? Um, was that something that was ever a big thing that you pushed for as you started maybe thinking about the, about representation later and the way that that could be something that creates a dialogue about, you know, what's going on in, in the contemporary art world or, or was it something that you're always interested in that conceptual side of it? Uh, I, I've kind of gone back and forth. Um, like I mentioned, uh, I kind of went to school to study performance and, uh, and sculpture and that kind of started with, um, my befriending the South African plumber that I mentioned earlier. Right. He introduced me to Robert Delford Brown, who was a performance artist uh, living in Houston at the time. Uh, he has since passed, but uh, he was a performance artist in New York and worked uh, worked a lot with Alan Caprow. And uh, so he he really uh, introduced me to performance art, and I was able to be a part of a few of his performances, which was really fascinating. He introduced me to Alan Caprow. And uh, so, I, I, you know, I always had the drawing, and it was at that point that I started realizing that there was a lot more, uh, a lot more out there than just drawing representationally, so to speak. So, um, again, I went, I went uh, to, to Western New Mexico University with that intent, um, but then I took a landscape painting class uh, with a visiting instructor, I think the summer of my sophomore year. Oh, it was a landscape paint, uh, drawing class first, and then it was a painting class the following summer. But for me, that really solidified that I wanted to to paint and draw. And I was also reading a lot of Alan Caprow at the time, and I saw how there was a direct link between performance art and abstract expressionism, and that was really interesting. Uh, so that was what led me to really investigating and researching abstract expressionism. Uh, so I kind of went backwards a little bit. And uh, from there, I kind of you know went into the Bay Area figurative movement and uh, looked at those artists quite a bit. And was really influenced by them and uh, how they were treating the figure as well as the landscape and, you know, kind of uh, continuing, um, you know, Cezanne's uh, 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 questions with uh, the, you know, representational imagery while also recognizing the plastic space of the picture plane and trying to uh, kind of, you know, come to terms with those two things within a singular painting. Uh, so that was real exciting for me, and that kind of reinforced my original love of drawing. So as an undergrad, I kind of segued uh, kind of back into uh, a lot of figure drawing. Um, I think I took like five semesters of figure drawing. So drawing uh, representationally was actually really important to me as an undergraduate. And when I look at my work now in a relationship to where I thought I would be now then, it's pretty shocking. But, um, yeah, it, it's, you know, when you break it down, you can see these progressions um, but, um, yeah, it's, it's quite a, it's quite a leap now from what I was doing then, but, right. yeah. but it's, it's interesting to me, um, that, you know, there's a level of, I don't know, detail in, in the, in the most contemporary work in terms of, um, I don't know, the way that, I don't know, certain elements, uh, are kind of left around the image or the text or the layers. There's all these little incidental marks and it kind of almost reminds me in a way of, you know, what drawing can be also. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, you, you mentioned the use of tape, and that's, that's the, the newest addition to my practice. Uh, over the course of the last year, I began using tape. 
And uh, I, I consider using, I consider the application of tape to very much so be drawing as well. Uh, I don't think it's really removed from that because it's, it's going to uh, yield the marks. Um, but uh, yeah, uh, setting up the setting up a system uh, where the art can kind of create itself is kind of where I'm at now. And so all these leftover marks, uh, the ephemera, the process, the patina, if you will, um, is more accidental. Uh, is just arrived at and more found uh, than really uh, pushed on my end. Uh, and that's been a real breakthrough for me as well because I'm getting to this point where uh, the image making is becoming a real a genuine dialogue between me and the painting and the process uh, as opposed to um, trying to dictate too much of how the, the finished image will look. And so that's been, again, real exciting for me. Uh, feels really um, honest in a way, which, you know, is problematic or maybe to say, but um, yeah, so that's, that's kind of, that's been exciting. Before, before that, I was still uh, playing around uh, with the idea of text and the grid um, and I was doing really simple, really simple drawings, uh, just like with Sharpie, pen and marker, um, working from a phrase that is, is somehow significant to my life or my past or just something I heard that resonated with me. And then I would, I would superimpose a pattern on top of that. Um, and that, that was much more uh, loose, uh, obviously, the work. Uh, I wasn't using tape. I was using pen and marker. So it was much more... Uh, there was much more indexing of like a human experience, perhaps, but um, that that has definitely segued into this work now, like with the tape. And I feel like now it's getting uh, much less graphic and much more painterly, which for me as a painter is really exciting. I, I'm really enjoying the dialogue and really excited about uh, what's happening in the studio. Yeah, well, and it's it's interesting to me because it starts to make me think about the idea of process as being something that's also in question that, you know, the, the evidence or, or all the incidentals, as, as I've been saying, or things that happen along the way, um, kind of document that journey. Is, is that something that you think of in relation to any particular kind of reading that you want to have of the work? Is it important for the viewer to kind of recognize that, you know, these things aren't perfect and that they are becoming more painterly-like, like you're describing? Yeah, I think so. I think that's really important to me. And that, that was kind of the breakthrough with the tape. Um, it seems like there's all these, there's like two different schools of, of folks that use tape or don't use tape. And they're really adamant about, um, about, about each. Uh, if you use tape, it's like a, you know, a hard edge geometric abstraction. If you don't use tape and it looks like you use tape, like that's really, um, usually kind of a selling point or it's a, it's, it's seen as like a noble thing, but I learned how to use the tape in a real gestural way. And, and not being overly concerned about the hard edginess of, of the use of tape, not, not being so careful with this application, uh, using really inexpensive tape, too, at times, uh, just to kind of have it bleed through intentionally and see what you're left with. Uh, so for me, I kind of feel like while I'm making it, I am kind of like the viewer uh, in a way because I'm excited to see uh, what happens during the process. And so I would hope that that translates to the viewer as well, um, that they see uh, these, these uh, accidents, if you will, for lack of a better word, um, kind of coalescing into the, the, the whole image. And, uh, yeah, hopefully adding interest and, um, yeah, adding, adding to the work. One of the other things that I, I would think about um, then is, is, then is, is the – all the formal issues in terms of landscape painting and examining those things, do those, are those the type of things that influence your color choices? Because you've talked a little bit about, you know, phrases or texts as ways of kind of like building the work that you're making now, but wh where does the color choice come from? Yeah, I think that's a really good question, and it's kind of interesting. I was, um, during my uh, second year of graduate school, in preparation for my MA show, I did a body of work that was predominantly gray paintings with, uh, con like, you know, just like pockets of, of really, uh, you know, uh, saturated color uh, and kind of playing with contrast of extension. And um, so the, the color has always been there. And it was about that time, too, that my work became more consciously diaristic. And so with that in mind, uh, the pinks, the fluorescent colors, uh, even the metallics, for me, are referencing Kind of, kind of growing up in in Katy, Texas, outside of Houston, uh, like in fifth grade, you know, my peers had the big fat fluorescent shoelaces, and that that's always stuck with me. And there's a story there which we don't need to get into, but uh, <laughs> uh, just a, about the shoelaces and for me what they represented <laughs> in terms of uh, being in and out of this little, little cultural group that was in fifth grade uh, with my friends. But um, so yeah, the 
uh, I have a friend in Albuquerque that uh, I think would refer to this as currency. Like the, the colors, uh, because of my experiences and because they've resonated with me and have become part of my consciousness, they, I feel like there's, uh, there's an importance to them when I use them. There's a justification for them. It's not just arbitrary um, or insignificant. There's, uh, yeah, it's not, it's not, it's not theory-based, but it's diaristic-based. And, and I feel like that adds its own cultural significance to my work. Well, do you, do you pick particular themes then in terms of, I don't know, if you're going to do a new body of work, is it, is it something where you can change what it'll look like formally based on the phrase so that you might, say, use only metallic-looking kind of paint or, um, you know, pastel-looking colors or other things like that? Yeah, I think, that, I think that's a really good uh, thing to touch on. Um, so, like, how I, w- how I would come up with a phrase, essentially what I'm doing right now is painting the titles of the painting. <laughs> and uh, the, the titles of the painting, which also become the content of the painting, uh, are coming from, again, these, these experiences uh, or, or these phrases I hear that resonate with me on some level. These are, like, phrases, words that I can't let go of in a good way, you know. Um, and when I think of these words, I actually, I actually see marks. I think of... I think of what I would do first to a painting if I'm thinking about that word or phrase. So there's a, a little bit of maybe synesthesia going on where I'm, I'm you know, and that, that kind of prompts me. That kind of reinforces that, yeah, okay, this is what I need to paint because this is what I want to paint. This is going to yield a painting. And that's really what I'm looking for. And oftentimes the color, um, the color does relate, but it's not directly. Uh, for example, the most recent painting I did is uh, I Shall Be Free uh, number 10, which is a, a title of a Bob Dylan song uh, that I, I grew up with and uh, actually performed when I was in junior high. But um, so there's not a direct link. Uh, you know, you, you think of I Shall Be Free number 10, a Bob Dylan song is from the 60s. Maybe it's going to be, I don't know, like Browns or something to kind of show this, uh, this age quality, but that's not the case at all. Um, it, uh, that's not necessarily my experience with that, uh, that phrase, that term. So I think, I think there is the, the, there is the potential there, and it does inform the palette, but it also is, is less directly related. It's more of just, uh, at that point, it's based on hunch. It's based on intuition. And uh, I've learned to kind of, I've learned to really trust my intuition, which has taken a lot of time uh, to develop. But, um, yeah, so I think, I think uh, the color choices, again, I've, I've kind of been working with this, this palette, I guess, for, for quite some time now, maybe seven years, kind of playing around with these colors and uh, so they're in my studio, and that, that's really part of it, too. I've been using spray paint uh, since 2007, um, and uh, I, I think I stumbled upon spray paint in kind of the same way I stumbled upon the use of tape. It was uh, just being really, uh, mar- like just really marveling at the fact that I couldn't control the spray paint. Like, I'm not a, I'm not a graffiti writer uh, in Albuquerque. That's, that's really not a good thing to <laughs> not be, but... Uh, yeah, so I, I use spray paint basically because I can't control it. And so I'm not using it in a, in a real skill-based way. Uh, I'm kind of using it uh, more so as like just, you know, kind of looking at this thing that's full of pigment uh, and, and seeing that there's this applicator to deposit <laughs> the pigment onto the surface. And uh, so, again, it yields uh, a lot of the, uh, the accident, a lot of the um, spontaneous mark making that uh, – that happens as a result of that, which I'm again I'm really excited about, and really informs my work and has for quite some time. And I stepped away from spray paint a few years ago, and I was working predominantly charcoal and oil paint. Um, but uh, yeah, recently came back to the spray paint um, uh, because there is uh, there is just something really uh, gratifying about where it ends up and how little control I have over it. Well, and this this might be a little bit like asking a David Copperfield to explain how he makes something disappear. But um, how how do the how does the layering work then in, in the image when you start building it up? Is it something that's you know really predetermined as as you're working through it, and then it's just layered after layered after layered? Could you describe that process a little bit? Yeah, I I really don't have a particular formula or uh, a strategy uh, to how I arrive at it. Usually I get to the point where uh, there's uh, – I, I kind of feel like the, I'm gardening, you know, and there's uh, – I'm working on the canvas, and it gets to this point where it feels like the ground is fertile. And I can then – I then want to, like, put on tape and begin thinking about text. And, 
And when I do that, when I start putting on the tape, I really have no idea what, you know, what the finished image is going to look like. I'm covering stuff up. I'm not sure uh, if this is going to stay, if this is going to go. Um, and again, that's really exciting for me. Um, but, uh, yeah, usually I, I put on a, a ton of tape and I'm scratching my head and I'm like, really, you know, it's real nerve wracking how it's going to look in the end. Cause you don't know. Um, uh, but, uh, I find the not knowing to yield really positive results, like being comfortable with the not knowing, I think is a real, is a real, has been a real struggle for me. And so that's kind of been a breakthrough, like finding, uh, finding like some trust or faith in the process that uh, the letting go will enable uh, or will yield uh, a, res- a result that's that's interesting as long as I trust the process along the way. Well, and, and you describe, you know, like the process and how none of these paintings then are, are I guess, figured out. You're, you're kind of figuring them all out individually. Um, are, are there ones then where you're, where you're, kind of like layering up and, and kind of coming up with a background and then using tape over the top of it. And then once then where you're maybe taped out the letters and then remove them, or I don't, is there, I don't know, is there a little bit more in terms of like, I don't know how that process works. Is it something very literally where you can just be taping, painting, removing the tape, taping and painting and removing the tape? Or is it, is it, um, I don't know, just trying to get a better handle on that process. Yeah, it's not. It's, yeah, it's not. It's not just that. Uh, I go back into the paintings um, after the tape has been removed. I go back into the paintings without tape. Uh, I'll go back into the paintings with tape. <laughs> um, yeah. So I, I I try. You know what I've been struggling. Not I don't know if struggle is the right word, but I've been working towards uh, in my practice is to ha- like a real healthy practice, a practice that kind of yields. Um, a real organic quality and uh, enables me to kind of uh, be engaged throughout the process. And so, and, and keeping, keeping an openness to it, I find that if that openness is, is not there, um, it's just not as, it's not as fun making stuff. You start feeling like, uh, again, going with Michael Wiley's uh, reference of a bricklayer, like you're just making, you're just making things. And uh, I think as, as uh, makers of art objects, like we want an open-ended process Right. Okay. Well, and so we've been talking again about this idea of, you know, a process and, and working out things that, that are new and challenging each time. Um, does that result then in, in some, some paintings just having uh, a couple layers, whereas other ones have like countless layers? Yeah. Um, you know, that's, that's a, uh, that's, that's true. That, that happens quite a bit. And, it's not always the same process where I'm, I'm going in and like with this idea of layering. I have some uh, paintings that are just raw canvas with tape uh, and spray paint. Um, so there's just one layer um, kind of going back to the idea of not having a plus B plus C equals the painting uh, kind of being more open-ended about the process or open-minded. So uh, oftentimes, sometimes I'll get an idea in my head where I just want to, I just need to see this image uh, manifest. And so in those instances, yeah, there, there may not be much, uh, much to the process. It may be really simple, but I think in the grand scheme of things, it's kind of nice to have some work being very, very direct and the other work being very, very layered. And, uh, I'm really interested in kind of the dialogue between the two, uh, existing within a singular body of work. Sure. And, and is that something that also then comes up in terms of what kind of materials you choose? I mean, you know, we've talked a little bit about, about the materials that you're using for kind of the most current paintings then, um, but it sounds like it's something that you shift around sometimes as well, because you, you talked about ones that you're doing with graphite and oil paint. Um, is it really kind of seeing what a, a different material will do um, differently and just kind of accepting that, you know, this is not going to behave the way that acrylic paint does and working with that? Yeah, I think so. I've uh, been using a lot of like airbrush paint, but not really for not not for airbrushing, uh, just because I really like the colors and uh, I like how it's uh, it's how the application is on the raw canvas, especially. So um, yeah, I think so. But I am using acrylic, and um, I'm using. Uh, I try to use uh, for the most part pretty pedestrian medium, um, like uh, you know Home Depot. Uh, you know, not always using really nice spray paint, using some Krylon if, if you know, if, I, if that's what the, the painting calls for, a particular color. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm really open with the, the media. It's funny, I, I, when I moved to New Mexico, uh, my studio is, is relatively small, 
and I was using oil paint, and uh, I, 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 was, I didn't really have the best ventilation. So I wanted to have – I was really craving – this was in the summer. It was really hot in New Mexico, and I really wanted water in my studio. So that's what kind of led – uh, led me to segue into acrylic, but with acrylic too, there's you know, you know quicker drying time. Uh, you can think a little quicker in a way, uh, which I was uh, I was really excited about too. So it was a real um, it was a real fun transition for me. So I am using acrylic, um, but I am also using other paints as well. But for you know for the most part, they're all archival and uh, they'll stand the the test of time for whatever that's worth. So well, and that's interesting to me too because you know when when one looks at them and you know. Even just kind of discussing the, uh, you know, the way that using tape and layering tape and, and, you know, you start wondering then what it's going to do in terms of, you know, different adhesives. So are you really conscientious then of what kind of materials that you do use and, I don't know, the way that you apply them so that they last? In regards to my own work? Yeah, I mean, is it something that you're very particular about what kind of materials that you use then? Um, Acid-free tapes and... No, no, but the, you know, the tape doesn't stay on. So, um, yeah, so the tape doesn't really matter, but I'll, I'll use, um, like I mentioned before, I'll use like the really cheap masking tape that you're not supposed to use if you're using tape <laughs> for a painting, uh, because it bleeds in. Uh, but again, I think that's really interesting when that happens. So, um, I'll, I'll, I'll allow myself to be engaged with an expensive tape, but also use, you know, the fancier, uh, tape as well. Um, just to have uh, kind of uh, you know more varied mark making. So, sure. uh, yeah. So, well, uh, what's the strangest type of material that you've you've come to use, or or maybe tried and then and had it, you know, just not work out at all for you? I was studying and I, I did a month and uh, studying abroad in Florence, and I was I was looking at Tapier and I was real real ex- uh, excited about experimenting. This was kind of when I was leaving. Uh, the figure behind, and so I was just really embracing uh, different media, and uh, I was using some uh, Italian dirt. It was important that it was Italian dirt, <laughs> uh, of course, uh, in my, my work. I guess that would be the most uh, far-fetched uh, media choice I've, I've used. And I think there may be some problems in bringing that back into the States, so I didn't, I didn't tell <laughs> customs, but um, yeah, dirt. I guess dirt. Well, I hope that's not retroactive because they might they might hunt you down. And I know, right? You know. How large is your uh, your audience? Uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, just worry <laughs> about worry about the next time you have to go through the the checkpoint security at an airport. You're that guy, right? Yeah. Do you have any dirt? Um, right. <laughs> well, and it, it's interesting to me because you know we've been talking about you know this process and um, and I think I want to get get before we get to maybe the way that that these pieces might be read by someone or or uh the types of uh, kind of meanings that you want to convey um you know i just wanted to ask again is are there are there particular moments then that you wind up choosing over others like we've talked a little bit about how those moments can help inform um some of the decisions that you make or some of the things that you're interested about but i mean do you have like a show that might be i don't know like a particular theme like they're all going to be um particular i don't know Freedom fighting songs. Granted, uh, that's a bad example, but um, I hear what you're saying, though. Yeah, is there a particular thing that you that you kind of want a, a feeling out of a show? You know, you mentioned way earlier um, the Rothko Chapel, and uh, I've actually actually had uh, been there, and um, you know, it's just such a low lit place. You know, yeah. but, but you think about how those paintings really, um, you know, are really meant for that that space, um, mm-hmm. and so I mean, are, are there things that you want in terms of a certain I don't know, trying to think that you're trying to evoke out of a certain body of work that you wind up showing together? It's really interesting how uh, when you're working in the studio every day, how there, there are certain themes within bodies of just our own time working in the studio that kind of manifest uh, unconsciously. Like we're, uh, so I'm not going into the studio thinking, okay, this is going to be the body of work that I'm going to be exploring this theme or anything like that. I really do consider each painting uh, an individual, so to speak. Um, but having said that, I've, I've got a show coming up um, in January in Albuquerque, uh, and it, it's looking as though all of the paintings that I'll be showing are, are really positive. Uh, the titles are positive. And so that's, uh, you know, I, I, again, I wasn't conscious of this while I was making the paintings. Maybe it just represents a really good time in my life. Um, but, uh, yeah, there seems to be a lot of uh, positive uh, themes, positive titles, 
Um, and maybe the palette kind of reinforces the positivity that could be manifesting as a theme. Um, but again, it's not, it's not intentional, but, um, it's, it's interesting looking back after the work is made and, and seeing, seeing those kind of relationships. So how, how do you balance what you want out of a painting and what you want a, a viewer to, to see? Um, you know, we've talked a lot about the way that you're personally kind of reinvestigating representation mm-hmm. and what certain things mean. And um, I don't know, maybe even bring up some ideas of uh, the temporalness of things, you know, how everything's going to be uh, phased out of existence in some, some regards, too. Um, so how do you manage to, to kind of work through that process and then leave something for the viewer? Is there a particular feeling that you want to leave them with or um, a reexamining of some kind in particular? Uh, for the viewer, I, I you know I don't really I don't really um, think too much about that to be honest with you. Um, I don't know how much control I have over what the viewer takes away uh, from looking at any painting. Um, so with that in mind, I think that could be like a kind of a scary uh, territory uh, in terms of being overly concerned about what the viewer is getting from what you're making in the studio. So. Um, you know, there's going to be some that uh, respond and some that do not, and that is fine, fine with me. So, um, yeah, it's been it's, it's more about right, like our our own journey in the studio and uh, kind of relating that to our life and trying to find something, trying to find some meaning uh, between the two of those. And you know, you throw that meaning out into the world, and um, some again, some are going to respond to it, some won't. But in terms of taking ownership of what the viewer is getting from it. Um, I'm not, uh, I'm not, yeah, I'm not overly concerned with that, to be honest. So you talked a bit about, you know, wanting to engage that contemporary art dialogue. And so to kind of get back to this idea of the viewer, then, um, how does that, how does that relate? You know, how, how does that issue then become resolved? Um, cause obviously then you're, you're concerned with these things, but then you're not necessarily concerned in the way that you're, I guess, looking at a particular narrative. Um, how, how does that work? I guess, yeah, maybe um, maybe relevance, kind of going back to the idea of making work that's relevant, <clears throat> going back to the idea of what I want the viewer to take away from. Maybe <clears throat> maybe I do want the viewer to, to walk away with um, a sense that they're looking at something that was made uh, in this time and place, something that, that is relevant to, to the world now and the contemporary art world as well. Maybe there is a connection. Um, but you know, hopefully it's not, it's not the same thing they've seen over and over and over again. Well, and I would think that partially again, that that whole process that you're undergoing is something that helps engage someone with that idea or, or with the possibility then that, I don't know, you kind of allow for the viewer to see your own journey and hopefully then I guess thereby have them question their own. That, that's great. <laughs> that sounds really good. Um, yeah, but again, if they just see it as an abstract image and they're just kind of taken with like the formal properties of it too, um, that's that's okay with me too. Um, yeah, it seems like so often there's like kind of a gut response, right, to a painting or a drawing or a sculpture. We 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 like it or we don't. And I, um, yeah, so yeah, I think I think some may take away something like that. Um, others may not, but still like it, um, and others just won't like it, and that's fine too. Sure. So, well, I mean, you know, we, we tend to operate in a bit of a gray area, too, you know, and I think that's one of the things that makes your work really interesting is that it's um, very open and it's very accessible. But I think my, my whole line of questioning here is just to really kind of get at that, that point, you know, that, you know, when we leave uh, graduate school and, you know, we're kind of left our own devices working in our studios um, and, you know, looking at, at what's going on in the art world and, and kind of continuing that process, it, it becomes an interesting balance of, you know, trying to decide what you want and then also trying to decide what you're saying and, you know, whether or not that's relevant. Um, so it sounds like to me the, the way that you process that is to just kind of continue to challenge yourself as you're working through these problems. Yeah, I, I kind of feel like I'm a, my own worst critic. So I kind of trust uh, if I if I feel like there's a problem in, in my work, um, I kind of uh, trust myself to figure it out and to also call myself out on what that problem is and to deal with it. Um, which historically has been, I, I would consider it to be my strength, uh, kind of going back to this idea of shedding, shedding layers uh, in my work. Um, so, yeah. Interesting, interesting. 
Well, and so, you know, what, what kind of things are, are we looking at in the, in the near future? You had talked previously about a show that you have um, that's going to be opening up in January. So what's that about? Uh, yeah, that'll be in Albuquerque, uh, the Outpost Performance Space. Um, and it'll be my first showing in Albuquerque, so I'm pretty excited about that. Um, yeah, uh, going to be uh, showing in uh, New York and Brooklyn at the Parallel Art Space uh, this summer. It's a show that Julie Torres is uh, organizing, so real excited about that. And it uh, looks like there will be a, a group show in Belgium as well this summer uh, that I'll be taking part in. So, yeah, some good things happening. Right. Well, and, and, you know, again, to kind of describe this process and, you know, something that I think is interesting is when, when someone winds up having to, um, you know, get into that mode where they're, where they're working up for a show, um, do, you, do you just have like a factory where you got all of these uh, different bodies of work kind of laid out and, and kind of working at the same time then? Uh, no factory. Uh, <laughs> I've got a little, uh, little space in the backyard, um, but... Uh... Yeah, no, it's, it's, and you know, actually my studio has kind of turned into more of a spray booth, uh, to be honest. So I don't have a lot of work out, uh, at one time. Um, it's, the work is, is put away is, um, you know, I'll roll up the large paintings, cover them with plastic. So they're not going to be affected by the spray paint. Um, so, uh, I don't have a lot of work out. I used to, um, and, uh, what's, what's kind of fun about not having a lot of work out is there's, there's a lot less complacency a uh, lot lot less time to just kind of um, sit back and <laughs> revel in what you've made it's more about going in there and getting back to work you finish a painting you roll it up you put it away um, and that's kind of been a good process for me too and just keeping keeping going keeping it fresh uh, yeah just keep working and is there like a particular number that you shoot for or is it just something that you I don't know um, you leave to go get a cup of coffee and then you feel guilty and just have to rush right back to the studio uh, in terms of like finishing a, a certain number of paintings or yeah i'm just try- i'm trying to gauge you know how long you know how how much time you give yourself if you've got you know this many shows coming up and and you know just trying to manage all of that yeah i you know it's a it's a struggle i, I work full time and uh, i teach part time at the university of new mexico so my plate's full um but uh you find time, right? Like uh, last week I was up till, you know, three and four in the morning or whatever, working on a painting Friday night, Saturday morning. Um, and uh, that was the Buddy Holly space that I experienced when I was a 12-year-old where, um, you know, I'm not going to get the coffee refill. I'm just staying in there because I'm so engaged with the process. Time has escaped me and I'm really uh, into what I'm doing. And so that's uh, – that – that kind of dictates more my my labor uh, and my work uh, more so than some arbitrary number of you know you need to have twelve paintings by you know December twentieth or things like that. Um, it's more of just uh, making as much work as I possibly can, and then when a show comes around, just kind of assessing what I've made uh, and uh, determining what should go where, things like that. Right, right. Well, and it sounds like too working that way you leave yourself with a lot to, to sort through and, and look at or um, maybe even reinvestigate. Um, have you ever had a, uh, a body of work then that, that you've kind of gone into after, I don't know, sitting with it for a while and, and kind of, um, you know, reinvestigating? Or, or is it something then when you work through, you know, a painting or a couple of paintings that once they're done, you, you don't go back to them? It seems like once they're done, they're done. Uh, I have gone back to certain paintings um, once starting a new body of work, but I've, I've found that that doesn't work. I don't know what it is. Um, I know for others it works really well, uh, but for me it just seems like I'm bringing a different energy uh, to the painting, and so it is starting over uh, essentially, and uh, I think when I start over, I like to start over with a clean slate. Um, so, yeah, I, I have uh, piles of work in the garage uh, stacks of paintings, but uh, they're they're done with. I need to figure out what to do with them next, but they're they're done and they're just sitting there. And I have no intention of going back into them. It feels as though once a painting's complete in my mind, that it's it is really complete. Almost like the the life it's lived is over, or maybe it's just begun. But it's um, yeah, it's it's definitely it's definitely finished. And um, you know, I, I think if uh, if if there's a if there's something I still want to do to a painting. Uh, to finish it, uh, that'll happen sooner than later, and it won't. It'll it'll be within the same space, the same energy of when the painting was created. Um, so the the gaps are not not large. You know, they're really small gaps. 
Sure. Well, and it it brings up something interesting to me because you talk you talk a little about this process of not really you know picking something up and going and starting it starting again after you stopped or kind of taking breaks. Um, it reminded me of when you're talking about traveling, you know, at the very beginning and, and talking about all the places that you lived, and you've also talked about how those places help inform some of the things, are, or you know, even if they're not directly seen um, for yourself, they kind of inform what you're doing. Um, are things like travel and kind of experience still really important in terms of, you know, the way that it feeds the work, even if it's indirectly? I think so. Uh, yeah, I would have to say so. In fact, um, I think just being back in New Mexico has, uh, my, like I mentioned before, my work has changed uh, considerably within the last year. And uh, I, I attribute that uh, partly to living in New Mexico again and uh, just kind of, um, yeah, responding to the light here, which is amazing, the space. Um, so there's been, and even the design of, of the area, uh, not, uh, uh, not in terms of like urban decay or anything like that, but in terms of like uh, just uh, symbols that you see uh, that are part of like the southwestern vernacular, um, like diamond shapes, for example, or something that you see everywhere. Um, even, um, yeah, so uh, maybe even symmetry uh, has something to do with the landscape or the space. Um, but uh, I, I, would, I definitely feel as though place uh, is really important to the work and to the work I'm making now. And I'm really proud to consider myself a New Mexico artist. And I feel as though New Mexico is starting to, like, uh, kind of come through in my work a little bit more so. Um, and that's, that's pretty exciting for me. But, again, it's not a conscious thing. Right. Well, and, and is that something that... In terms of that process, then, when you say that it's not a conscious thing, is that something then where you don't have any kind of specific references that you're that you're working from, or you know, if you've been looking at, you know, um, I don't know, signage or taking photos of overpasses or you know whatnot? Are, are there any kind of source materials that you kind of work from, or is it always then this kind of you know evolution of this formal language that you've been exploring for so long? Yeah, I think it's more the evolution of the formal language. I think the uh, the documentation um, isn't literal. I'm not taking photographs necessarily. Something I would like to do more of. But um, in terms of source material, it really is just kind of manifesting from the process of painting and kind of uh, you know thinking back uh, through my cache of memories and um, and experiences and pulling from there and kind of letting that inform the work more than. Uh, more than directly responding to what is around me. Does that make any sense? <laughs> no, I think I think that makes complete sense. I, th- okay. I think it's just one of those things that's interesting because, you know, especially for oneself, you can always wind up looking back on a body of work and seeing something that you weren't seeing at the time. Um, and so it's interesting to me because I, I think something like color can easily be affected by um, moving, you know, because I've been... I've been in Illinois for quite a long time, but a number of years ago, I lived in Colorado for a summer, and, uh, you know, it's an entirely different light out there. It so is. I can completely understand what you're saying in terms of location and how that can affect things. So it's just it's just interesting to wondering how all that works, that's all. Yeah, and I think, you know, now that you mention it, like thinking back to my MA show uh, where there were, uh, you know, basically four-by-five-foot paintings, and uh, they were predominantly gray, and they were very layered, very textured, a lot of history, and you know, in hindsight, that kind of reflects like a Midwestern winter. And uh, and now we've got a lot of space and uh, sharp contrast. Uh, I, I I feel as though that New Mexico light or the Colorado light, which yeah, is very similar, very similar to an, an Italian light as well. I feel um, is really kind of influencing the work. So yeah, I, I think again, it's not a conscious thing, but it, like you mentioned too, like looking back, it's interesting to see like, Oh, that might be that's most likely a response to that environment at that time. Well, and obviously again, everyone should go check out, uh, John Philip Um, but for these, uh, colorful paintings in particular, um, let's get a little bit more information. So if you could just share that, that where that show is going to be in January, uh, so that people can check that out and again visit your website to to find out more information uh, about you and, and to find out what's coming up. No, that sounds good. Uh, it's at the performance, uh, the Outpost Performance Space in Albuquerque. Uh, I'm going to have some. Uh, I think I don't know. I think about five large paintings, uh, larger paintings, pretty much like 72 by 60 inches. And uh, yeah, I'm really excited about that. Um, it'll be a, a good. I'm really excited um, mainly just to share my work with Albuquerque. And to engage in that dialogue, so uh, that'll be that'll be great. 
Um, yeah. So, and then the new Mac, uh, New York show in, uh, in this coming this summer will be real exciting too. Thanks uh, to Julie Torres for organizing that. Um, yeah. So some good stuff happening. Awesome. Well, hopefully you'll uh, provide us some updates that we can share on the uh, Studio Break page on Facebook. And uh, again, it was a pleasure to, to talk to you. Looking forward to updates in the future, sir. Thanks. Thank you so much, Dave. Really appreciate the opportunity. Thanks again to John for joining us today. Once again, you can find out more information by going to studiobreak.com, looking under the blog entry for this post, and you'll find a link to John's website right there. So please go ahead and do that. If you've been listening to this the whole time and are wondering more about me, your host, you can check out my artwork at davidlinaway.com, or you can conveniently go to the left side of the homepage on the Studio Break page and find a hyperlink there. You can also go through all of the archives. We've got tons of different artists that we've had on, sculpture artists, uh, installation artists, painters, drawers, all sorts of stuff. So please go ahead and peruse them. Again, they've got different slideshows and full-length interviews with links to their websites and also links to the iTunes store where you can become a subscriber if you happen to like Studio Break. So please go ahead and do that. If you happen to like this episode, all the better to just leave us some positive feedback. We really appreciate it. Of course, if you happen to like the music today, you can get free music at freemusicarchive.org. They've got thousands of songs, full albums to download. It's actually quite fun to just peruse there. Our song today was James Rodeur's Soft Power, which will also be taking us out today. If you want to find out more information about Studio Break, please also check us out on Facebook. Like us there. Again, we provide a number of previews of upcoming guests and updates from past guests as well as show announcements. So go ahead and like us there. You can also follow us at Studio Break on Twitter. So please go ahead and check us out there again. We're always tweeting about new episodes and interesting articles that we find there. So please go ahead and follow us on Twitter. All right, that's our show for today. We hope you enjoyed it, and we'll talk to you real soon.